0: Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee brewers by Peter and David Goh. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Goh. Man, David, it's been a while since since we talked. I know we missed... Last weekend, a lot happened, uh, not only in, in baseball, for the Brewers, for the Bucks, Obviously, Bucks closing in on a Game 6, hopefully, NBA championship, coming to Milwaukee. Uh, Brewers continuing to march along here after the All-Star break. National League doing their usual bit at the break, uh, losing to the American League, as always. Uh, but a lot to cover in today's episode, so excited to be here with you today, David. Uh, any, any initial thoughts here before we get into things? I did see after that uh, All-Star game loss yet again that I think the Brewers actually among among expansion teams that are or teams that are older than like 25 years have the worst record because the NL actually kind of dominated the game in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. Brewers moved to the, uh, the NL and then the AL dominates. Uh, I think the NL has lost like 16 of 20, something like that. The last, actually the last National League hitter to record a hit in an All-Star game where the NL won. Brian LaHare. Um, that was a, a Cubs first baseman for I think about a year. and that was a long time ago back I think 2012 or 2013. So it's been a while and uh, I' unable to come away with the win. Um, and yeah, hopefully Buck's able to close out. don't want don't to get ahead of ourselves too much and say like they've already got it locked up, but uh, especially when Bob Nightingale tweets that the Bucks are one game away from winning the championship, which he did on Sunday. Uh, not feeling good about that one he, he talked about how it's great to be a, a Milwaukee sports fan right now uh it makes me a little bit nervous but uh, hopefully the, the the Milwaukee sports teams the Bucks and the Brewers can uh, overcome the Bob curse um that has been uh, pretty widespread yeah I think the biggest challenges the Bucks will face up there with Nightingale probably Booker and Paul but but Nightingale might be at the top of that with uh I know his uh, infamous Twitter curses, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll be there on Tuesday to see Game 6, so definitely hoping for a Bucks win and able to see that one. So, David, today's trivia question, who is the Brewers' current leader this year in weighted runs created plus? So we'll be we dwindling on that uh, as we go through today's episode, and as always, the uh, po- po- answer to that trivia question will be at the end of the podcast. And is that among qualifying hitters? Uh, correct. Okay, so just for our listeners, that's – I think an average of three plate appearances uh, per game that the Brewers have played in, so that would be about 270 plate appearances at this point. So, uh, wouldn't include some guys. Uh, I don't know exactly who's qualifying, but someone like Jace Peterson uh, it definitely doesn't qualify. I don't. I don't even know if maybe I'm giving it away too much, but I'm not even sure if Adames or Wong are qualifiers. Um, but I guess we can we can find that out at the end. Uh, We do have a kind of an interesting random player of the day, an active player, Yandel Gustave. The Brewers called him up just a couple of days ago uh, last week. He's thrown three innings. Pretty good. He actually uh, closed out the game on, I think it was Friday or Saturday, the extra inning game against the Reds. Got the win. Uh, He's... Sits about 96, 97 with the, with the sinker. Uh, good sinker-slider guy. A sinker's a, an above-average pitch for him. Kind of got an average slider, but he, he has so far used that sinker about 85% of the time. Has a little bit of Major League experience previously. Uh, Astros, Giants. Uh, I think a little bit with the Pirates more recently. They did actually trade for him last month, along with, uh, with another former Brewers farmhand, Troy Stokes Jr., who came back to the Brewers for... Uh, Catcher born in 2004, Samuel Escudero, uh, kind of maybe one of your lottery ticket guys, the Pirates kind of trying to build depth. I know the Pirates have very poor catching depth in their organization. Actually, interestingly, they ended up going for a catcher with the first overall pick in Henry Davis in the draft last Sunday. Uh, But Gustave... Uh, pretty good sinker-slider mix. I think he could be a, a solid middle relief option for the Brewers up to 99 miles an hour and very under-the-radar pickup last month, but uh, could end up being a pretty good arm to have in that Brewers bullpen. Yeah, he'll add to the mix of, you know, a couple of intriguing arms the Brewers have added as well. Miguel Gonzalez um, has been fun to watch. Um, he's got really good stuff as well. So kind of another interesting name that you'll see. Uh, making some appearances in the Brewers' bullpen and see if he's able to stick around and make an impact as the Brewers push towards the playoff. And, and speaking of the playoffs, Brewers now up s- seven games against the Reds. A uh, very good series here to start uh, the second half of the year. A series sweep of the second-place Cincinnati Reds. Uh, of course, seven games in a row, the Brewers playing against the Reds uh, with that all-star game in between. Overall going four and three, taking care of business and, and building upon their already strong lead in the National League. Um, Only other team with a larger lead in the major leagues is the White Sox, who they'll be facing this weekend, which should be a good series. I know Sunday um, is Sunday Night Baseball as well, which the Brewers very rarely get. I think it's just about the only time is when they're playing the Cubs, like once or twice every couple of years, pretty much. Um, So good to see the Brewers finally getting a little bit of respect um, on their name. But again, Brewers winning four of the seven against the Reds, uh, again, split between the All-Star break. Before that, because, again, we've it's been a little bit since we've been on here, they did lose two out of three to the Mets. Um, but overall, taking care of the division rival, and like I said, now a seven-game lead here in already middle of July, uh, building themselves a sizable lead. Yeah, a lot has happened since, since we last met, uh, since we last talked, And this is one of them, the Brewers, really taking that big lead over the Reds. Uh, Last time, they were kind of just getting over that long winning streak. And they were able to kind of continue that over the last week and a half, two weeks. Um, They played, uh, they went around 500 and went 4-3 and against the Reds. So pretty successful uh, seven-game double series, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know they call it like a home-and-home for uh, two two games at each place, but I guess this was four games at home, three games on the road. So um, maybe we'll have to rename this. I did see the last time that the Reds played the same opponent seven games in a row. It was a straight seven game series, uh, but with the Milwaukee Braves actually back in, I think 53 or 54. Uh, so kind of interesting stat there. Uh, as far as the transaction front, a lot has happened as well. The Brewers traded a longtime farmhand, Nathan Kirby to Pittsburgh. Force, just kind of a utility guy. Kevin Kramer played a, a little bit in the majors with Pittsburgh in 2018 and 19. Not producing much in terms of offensive value, but some good defensive versatility. Kind of a Daniel Robertson type. Maybe a little bit more of an outfielder than Robertson or, or Jace Peterson. Uh, certainly can't expect him to hit like um, the now uh, outstanding uh, on-base guy, Jace Peterson. On-base Jace, um, as he uh, is... is in. I don't know, dearly called by Brewers Twitter. Uh, But Brewers did designate Daniel Robertson for assignment kind of around that time. He just wasn't producing. He had a 303 on base percentage, but 164 average, 274 slugging, 90 plate appearances, never really got things going even after some swing changes he made over the offseason. And I think Brewers kind of wisely cut ties with him at the time they did. Uh, with especially Rios playing really well, Peterson playing really well, Wong back, Adames now as kind of entrenched as a shortstop. Not really room for Robertson to get any playing time. So the Brewers did use that 40-man spot. Dylan File and Justin Topa also began rehab assignments and rookie ball. Topa, I think, is is the bigger guy there. And he could be back in the Brewers' bullpen hopefully like first week of August. He was a really good kind of late season call-up last year. Uh, through seven or eight scoreless innings and a couple meaningful innings that he pitched in the the short two two out of three game series with the Dodgers. Uh, But he showed an excellent sinker slider combination and getting him back would be a big boost to the bullpen. Uh, They are short handed a little bit. Devin Williams just went on the injured list with some uh, elbow soreness, elbow tightness. Uh, Stern said it's not concerning. MRI came back clean, should be back in probably two weeks maybe three weeks, but Brewers without their setup man, Williams, for a little bit. Bullpen depth has been lacking, especially after trading Rasmussen and Fire Eisen and then Richards, who they had got in that trade previously. Um, and, and to address that, not only are uh, Topa and File on rehab assignments, they did acquire a lefty named Kyle Lobstein from Washington for cash considerations. Uh, his fastball velocity actually was up three miles an hour this year compared to what it was at in 2018 when he last appeared in the majors. Uh, I think the Tigers kind of 2015 to 18 time frame, kind of a, a 4A player up and down between AAA and the major league level, kind of your, uh, your David Goforth type. Um, he, that was kind of the, the role he had with Detroit, but uh, his fastball velo has ticked up. He dropped his arm slot. Um, he so he's been using a sinker more, which has been more effective from that arm slot. Sinker plays pretty well. Um, and his, his, his velo, his average fastball velo is only 91, uh, but he was still, borderline major league level throwing 88 a couple of years ago. So he could be a useful piece down the stretch as a left-handed reliever, maybe competing with a guy like Hobie Milner for some innings in the major leagues. Uh, I think the Brewers will probably give him an opportunity. And after that trade, the Brewers did designate Ryan Weber for assignment. Uh, The Mariners claimed him just kind of a minor move there. And Colton Wong came back off the injured list. Uh, So a pretty big boost to the lineup yet again. Lorenzo Cain coming back soon. I think he played nine innings tonight uh, in Nashville and should be activated, I think, uh, probably next weekend. So that'll be a big boost. Also, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a little bit, his his hitting's getting a little bit better, uh, but he still hasn't produced a whole lot, adding Cain back to that mix, even with Taylor playing pretty well. Still a nice boost to the Brewers offense. I was just going to say, Kane's coming back, wondering still when Jackie Bradley Jr. will be arriving this year, still waiting to see his bat. Uh, that has been uh, all, all but absent this season. So hopefully, who knows what it'll take at this point to get his bat going. But yeah, good to have Kane back in the lineup. And a lot of transactions, really, like you said, for the most part, um, not anything super major, but the Brewers did pull off a trade, which I know we'll be covering here in a minute. But before we jump to the trade, uh, do you want to just do a quick recap of the MLB draft. Again, so much happening since our last episode. We had the All-Star game. We had the Home Run Derby, um, 10 Brewers games. So a trade, all sorts of things. So do you mind just doing a quick recap of the MLB draft, uh, specifically around uh, the Brewers, who I know took a uh, a Wisconsin native in one of those top rounds? Yeah, the Brewers took Sal Freelick with their first pick, a center fielder from Boston College. Profiles really similarly to Garrett Mitchell, who was last year's. Um, last year's first round pick who was actually the subject matter of one of the first episodes we, we released last year. If you remember, I think we just passed a year now of, of doing this podcast, just kind of a side note. So um, if you want to celebrate by uh, giving us a review or a rating uh, or, or donating to us, just go on a quick uh, plug us there. But, um, but anyway, self kind of similar there. Good contact skills. Uh, I think he profiles as a, an above average contact hitter, excellent speed, great defense up in center field uh, and a guy who has a, what you call a pretty high floor, meaning it's likely he'll get to the major leagues and uh, kind of at the worst be your your prototypical fourth outfielder. I'd say the floor for him is is Logan Schaefer. Um, so like kind of if things don't go right, he's probably a, a guy who's like Logan Schaefer, you know, had a couple of useful years with the Brewers, but uh, nothing really special. But I, I think a more realistic outcome is maybe someone kind of like Jackie Bradley Jr. Maybe not this year, but in previous years with the Red Sox, kind of an average hitter, maybe a little bit more contact than power uh, for, for Freelich. Um, That's kind of what we're looking at. Tyler Black was a second round pick actually horizon league. Um, I think player of the year out of Wright state university in Ohio, um, Canadian native actually. And he really impressed scouts uh, against SEC competition early in the year and then again in the the regional round against Tennessee Duke Uh, I know he had an outstanding year and guys are saying that he probably profiles as an above average hitting second baseman at the major league level Um, more of a bat first guy but he can feel a little bit uh, better than a guy like say Keston Hira uh, so seems like a pretty good pick there. Kurt Russell in the, the second round with their third pick, 6'9 right-hander out of TCU. Um, and he's got a good fastball, I think, changeup up combination. Um, not a whole lot there that I have on him, but um, we'll, have, we'll have more in-depth analysis in a, a bonus episode coming out in the next uh, week or two. And then Alex Benellis, third-round pick, Oak Creek, Wisconsin native, actually. Uh, I think he was drafted by the Cubs a few years back. Uh, Brewers made that right by drafting him this time. Third round out of University of Louisville. He won, I think, National Freshman of the Year a couple of years ago. Then basically lost last year, partly because of COVID and then also a Hammett injury. And then this year, it took a couple weeks for him to get going. He was really struggling early in the year after projecting as maybe a late first round pick, but uh, kind of was able to, um, to save his season. Ended up hitting like 260, but slugged like 640, hit I think 15 home runs for a, a good Louisville ball club. And the Brewers saw enough in him, probably more of a first baseman long term. That's why he dropped to the third round. But good bat, good power potential, uh, and kind of an interesting pick there, a hometown guy. I believe he is the highest Wisconsin-born Brewers draft pick in franchise history. Uh, So uh, kind of another honor for Benellis in that case. Um, and a couple other Wisconsin's were, were picked. Noah Miller went 36 overall to the Twins, actually from Ozaki High School. Uh, Manfred messed up the pronunciation, said, I think, Azuki, Wisconsin, or Azuki High School. Um, some other guys uh, later later rounds from Wisconsin, which is is always nice to see. Um, but Brewer's taking the hometown kid, Alex Benellis, in the third round um, to uh, kind of cap off those first couple picks. And we'll, we'll talk about those more in a bonus episode coming up later. Yeah. Interesting to see the Brewers decision to, to take three position players. Certainly um, I don't, from what I hear, I'm not super excited about Kurt Russell. Uh, you never know. Second round pick. We'll see what happens. Um, but some intriguing picks. And of course, Benellis, good to see him. Uh, like you said, that Wisconsin native, um, just a cool story. Hopefully he is able to make some noise. And, um, you know, you never know with a power bat. You've got, uh, of course, unlimited potential potentially but uh you also have the victor roche uh type prospects as well so we'll see what is to come for that big bat in benelis so we did we have teased this out a few times already now and i'm sure as Brewers fans all know of course brewers making the trade uh trading trevor richards for uh rowdy tellas so uh david uh some people may already know at this point a little bit about rowdy but uh Share some thoughts on, on who Rowdy is and why the Brewers made this move. Yeah, first thing I wanted to point out, his his real name is actually Ryan John Tellez. Not sure where the Rowdy comes from. I guess it's just a, a nickname for him. Um, probably got that when he was young. I, I don't really know. I, I haven't asked him about it. Um, but he is a, a pretty big first baseman designated hitter. Kind of a, a mini Dan Vogelback. Uh, not quite as bad defensively. Uh, not quite as limited there. I-, I do like him a little bit better than Vogelbeck. Uh You look back at his 2020 season, 35 games, 127 plate appearances. So small sample size, but hit 283, slugged 540. Pretty good walk rate, too. Um, and even just the year before, had 21 home runs with the Blue Jays. Uh, it was a pretty good prospect coming up also and profiled as a good first-base DH guy for the Blue Jays, and then just kind of got forced out. Vladdy Jr. ended up going over to first base and when the best hitter in baseball, at least this year, um, is at your position on your team. You're kind of the odd man out there. Uh, the DH wasn't really open there in Toronto either, so they chose to deal to the Brewers. Uh, it does create an interesting situation uh, for the Brewers with uh, kind of – the battle between him and Hira for playing time. You know, I'd like to see Hira get more playing time somewhere, whether that is at the major league level or at AAA. I feel like you kind of want to get Hira going. And I don't think the Brewers are going to be able to do that when is playing two out of every five games um, and, and mostly playing against lefties. Uh, so I'd kind of rather see Hira just option back out to uh, AAA. Maybe bring up a guy like Wes Wilson, who's been playing pretty well down there. Um, and then when Vogelback comes back, I'm not sure exactly how it would be having him and Rowdy Talez manning the position. Um, that'd be a pretty heavy first base combination. Um, I'm sure we could get some stats on that. But, um, but I, I do think it creates a little bit of an interesting situation since Talez isn't like a, a bona fide starter right now at first base. But I do think he creates a very interesting option for the Brewers and a guy who has had success at the major league level. I think with the Brewers controlling him for a number of years, have some flexibility with minor league option remaining. Um, I think he is a guy who probably is going to hit 20, 25 home runs a year, Uh, maybe kind of a a little below average with the contact skills. Uh, But, you know, his his walk rates make up for it and ends up becoming maybe an average first baseman. Yeah, I don't see a natural fit as to where he fits into the infield. And I almost wonder if the Brewers maybe – um, knowingly sort of reached as far as trying to pull him in. And the, the, by, by saying that, I mean, perhaps the Brewers were um, big on him, see the potential upside in him and figure they'll figure out a spot um, if he is able to start hitting. So I don't know. It, it is interesting to see how they'll how they'll maneuver around the Brewers roster. Because like you said, not exactly sure how he's going to fit in with Kira, Vogelback, Travis Shaw, of course, is still on the injured list. So when, when Shaw's back, we're talking about Urias, who's effectively um, looked like a potential starting third baseman for the Brewers this year. You've got Urias, Shaw, Vogelback, Hira. Now you're adding telez to the mix. So just a lot of bodies in the corner infield. A lot of uh, unestablished and, and, may, and maybe some just okay pieces on the corner infield. So I don't know. Uh, I think the Brewers probably – saw some upside in him or they wouldn't have decided to deal not only Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis, but um, just because of the lack of natural fit for a guy like Telez. Yeah, almost created a little bit of a log jam and I kind of would like to see them give um, Telez every day at bats at the major league level. In my opinion, um, it would be the best situation if you option here out, basically let Telez play almost every day at first base, see what Telez can do before Vogelbeck comes back. uh, And then, if Teles can't really put things together for this this year, you option him back out to AAA. Okay, we'll stick with Voloback. Maybe bring Hira back up at that point, um, depending on how he's playing. But at least you've kind of seen Telez giving him every day at bats and giving him that playing time to get him going. Hira likewise at AAA. I, I feel like you're not really accomplishing anything by having both Telez and Hira get part time at bats. They're to me both hitters that kind of need you need 400 at bats to kind of get them going. Um, and they will be pretty effective at the major league level, especially Telez. I mean, Hira, I think we've we've talked about him a lot. You kind of see the upside there, um, the past success, but he hasn't looked good this year. And I don't know how much you can expect out of Hira for the rest of the year. But I do think Telez is an interesting option. And although his results haven't been good this year, 203 average, 324 slugging, uh, his expected numbers from StatCast have been a lot better. He's been hitting the ball pretty hard, kind of unlucky uh, we've seen some Brewers have that in recent years, um, even Vogelback, I think, uh, earlier this year and some last year, but 425 expected slugging versus his actual slugging of, of 324 and his X-weighted on base right around average for a major leaguer at 320, um, but his, his actual results considerably lower than that. So we're looking at probably Tellez will uh, kind of bouncing back, turning it around a little bit in the second half. So a little bit of a log jam there in the corner infield spot, but an intriguing trade uh, nonetheless. And actually, I I did happen to go to uh, Tampa Bay Rays game last week, and Trevor Richards almost came in the game. Robbie Ray was pitching really well. They were getting Rich, uh, Richards ready just kind of in case um, he started to, to tire a little bit later in that, in that game. Uh, he didn't end up coming in, though. I did get to see Drew Rasmussen, though. Pitched pretty well um, in his couple innings that he pitched there with the Rays. Uh, and another topic of the last couple uh, couple weeks that we haven't covered yet, uh, or another um, another I don't know big event, midsummer event, uh, the futures game, the home run derby, the All Star game, uh, the midsummer classic uh, coming in the past week. And I mean, the Brewers were kind of all over, especially the All Star game. They had five All Stars, which we talked about last time. Five being the franchise record. They set it in eighteen, they matched it in nineteen, and they matched it again in twenty twenty one. Uh, Ethan Small in the Futures game, though, uh, was the lone representative there. He pitched, I think, a, a third or two-thirds of an inning, allowed a couple of runs, um, but did actually finish the game for the National League. He did also, uh, also aggravate a finger injury that he had. It was kind of minor, but now he'll miss a couple weeks with, a I think it was like a, a ruptured tendon in his finger, strained tendon, something like that. Uh, I don't think he was really an option for this year anyways at the major league level. So I don't think it's a major setback, um, but just something that did happen. Uh, more on the major league side of things, not not really Brewers, but Pete Alonzo cruised to that home run derby win. Um, I know you weren't really able to catch that one, Peter, but hit 35 home runs in the first round. Um, Salvador Perez had, I think, the second most home runs, uh, or at least excluding tiebreakers, with 28. But he didn't advance because he was stuck behind Alonzo who was so good, and his batting practice pitcher, Dave Joust, was amazing. His He was throwing it down the middle every time. He was so good, um, and you see some of those guys that are – I mean, it, it's harder than it looks to throw BP, um, but Alonzo was excellent. Um, but that was kind of one thing I was I was thinking about is, how could you make the home run derby better? I feel like the rules were kind of confusing. Like, okay, so you got three minutes, but then 30-second bonus time if you get two home runs of 440 feet or more. Thirty seconds bonus time if you hit one four seventy five or more, and then because it goes so fast, it's hard to keep up with all the all the home runs going out. Uh, I do get you kind of want to keep it a little bit more fast paced, uh, so I am okay with that. But um, could they make it better? Maybe with the timing, make it just three minutes flat, no bonus time. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Just just quick, I wanted to touch on it. Yeah, I'm 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 all right with the bonus. I think it adds a little bit um, beyond just the. Uh, the 350-foot home run down the line that squeaks out a little bit more fun around driving the ball and and really getting the driving the ball. I mean 450, 475, uh driving the ball at the ballpark, as Jerry Augustine would say. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would say I, I don't really mind it. It seems like most of the time it's not very difficult to get that bonus time. I'd actually prefer them to make it a little bit more difficult, whatever that might look like, you know, three or four home runs over 450, or just saying, you know only doing a home run over 475, making it so that it's a little bit tougher to be able to land that extra bonus time. But overall, I think the Major League Baseball have, they they have tried many different things with the home run derby. We saw, of course, the captains, uh, which resulted in Ricky Weeks uh, making an appearance in the home run derby. So MLB quickly uh, changed the rules after that. But we've seen them experiment with different things, and I'm fine with them ex- continuing to experiment. Um, it's just a kind of an enjoyable night, and... I, I did see that uh, Alonzo will make more this year from the home run derby than he will uh, from his salary from the Mets, which was kind of interesting. Um, of course, with that million dollar prize for winning the derby as, uh, as still a young uh, player, that's a little bit less established, um, hasn't had his, you know, big payday yet. And so pretty cool to see Alonzo uh, being able to get to, to get some paid pay, pay off from, from winning the derby as well. And And he looked outstanding and, yeah, he, I think uh, he's definitely has some skills in, in hitting the ball a, a long, long ways. Yeah, in fact, he actually has made more over his career from winning home run derbies because he won in 2019 also. So he made $2 million from that. I think his combined earnings from uh, the other th- the, the three years that he's played now is just right around $1.3 million. Uh, so kind of interesting there. I did see Otani donated his $150,000 bonus he got for participating to a lot of the Angels support staff, guys in the clubhouse, um, travel agents, stuff like that, uh, people like that. So kind of a a nice gesture from Otani, who even though he wasn't the MVP of the All-Star Game, kind of stole the show. He participated in the Home Run Derby on Monday night. And even though he didn't make it out of the first round, uh, he and Juan Soto went back and forth multiple tiebreaker rounds before he finally ran out of gas. You could tell he was just exhausted. Uh, but then he came back on Tuesday uh, through a, a one, two, three inning in the first inning, a couple hard ground outs uh, in his, his two at bats. Um, and, and something we never seen before. We never seen uh, somebody be the leadoff hitter, be the designated hitter and be the pitcher. Um, and And of course he's, kind of making up rules they, they actually made up a rule that he could stay in the game after he was done pitching as a hitter um, just because I mean the fans want to see Otani uh, so kind of kind of nice to see it's a, the all-star game so um, I, yep. I guess kind of who really cares about what the rules say which I was also thinking about like what if they made a rule where you could bring back your starter so what if NL is down by one run got a couple runners on base instead of having um, somebody like I don't know, I remember a couple of years ago, Oledmus Diaz came up with like a big situation in the All-Star game. Uh, You pinch hit Ronald Acuna Jr. or Freddie Freeman or something. And and now you've got this great matchup between the closer, the American League, and one of the best hitters in the NL. Um, I don't know, I think it's worth worth considering. Overall, I'd say the the MLB All-Star game is pretty good. Some people have talked about Changing it to the NBA captain format, although to be honest, I wouldn't really be in favor of that. I think NLAL, the tradition of that, is still overall better. Um, I, I do think that the jerseys were terrible, like everyone else thought this year. Uh, but uh, but I, I also didn't mind having having jerseys for the All Star game um, and wearing them during the actual game. Um, Peralta was actually the only guy to strike out the side. Uh, he did it one, two, three innings, struck out the side. So maybe the most impressive pitching performance of the day. If the NL had one, it's possible that he would have won all-star game MVP. I know DeGrom did something similar to that a couple of years ago and won MVP, uh, I believe, or no, maybe Shane Bieber, um, since I guess DeGrom, I don't know if he would have been an all-star when they would have won. Um, but, Corbin Burns was also the only pitcher to go more than an inning. He did allow two runs, uh, walked a couple batters in his first inning of work, and then a, an unlucky single, uh, very Corbin Burns-esque, and then allowed a, a Vlad Jr. absolute tank, I think like 475. Uh, we won't talk about that one much, but um, but it was a cutter right over the plate that Vlad just destroyed. Um, but... Uh, Burns did get the loss, unfortunately. Narvaez went one for two also in his first All-Star appearance. And Woodruff was ineligible because of uh, pitching on Sunday. And then Hayter did not pitch, which was probably a good thing to get him the extra rest. Uh, So kind of just wanted to recap the All-Star game. Always a fun event. Uh, I don't think the All-Star game is quite what it used to be when it was really the only day where you could see all the, the superstars, uh, if you lived in Milwaukee, you weren't really able to see guys from New York or Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Um, but with the All-Star game, you were. But uh, now with the way that, that the game is, it's a little bit different where, you know, I could just watch Mike Trout highlights if I want to on my phone. We also don't have Pete Rose rounding third base to end the, the All-Star game either. So I think uh, the All-Star yeah, game is Probably for good reason, fit. though. <laughs> buster posey would agree with your statement i think yeah i do like them having players mic'd up though kind of creates a, a nice atmosphere uh liam Hendricks. uh they probably should have done a better job censoring him a little bit kind of weird they had him mic'd up while he was pitching uh they i'd have never seen him do that um but he didn't realize that the mic was like always on um so that created a little bit of uh i don't think it was a it was a big a big thing but uh, a little bit there and, and some like some really good interviews with Tatis on the field um, for one, Freddie Freeman also. So I kind of like things like that, uh, that they do to keep it interesting. Major Morgan never let uh, live TV stop him either. So I, I think that uh Hendricks, Hendricks will be all right, but that is kind of funny. I, I did see that they had um, Willie Adames and Jonathan India mic'd up for the Brewers Reds or one of those games um uh, one of the last seven games and kind of watched uh or listened i guess to some of the conversations that they had you can clearly tell adame is a very loose laid-back player both during the game and out just one of those guys who just is having fun um certainly um is playing well but it is completely loose and just looks like he's going out there and enjoying the game and and playing a game that he loves so it's kind of it was it's always interesting for me to to watch as a former player myself to see some of the things that they're saying, not only during the game, but also just how laid back a lot of them are and how much they just enjoy the game. So moving on towards uh final topic today here, um, we want to just take a recap um, on our early season predictions. We're now over the halfway mark, of course, past the midsummer classic. So I wanted to take a look back at our playoff projections, awards, projections, all sorts of things. Um, even the Brewers, Uh, win projections, all those things. So uh, to start with here, I will just read off quickly our uh, playoff projections. And then David, you can jump in and share some thoughts on that. So uh, for myself in the American League, I had the Yankees, White Sox and Angels as division winners with the Twins and Red Sox as wild cards. David had the Yankees, White Sox and A's with the Rays and the Twins as wild cards. So David, any thoughts on how these predictions are going so far? Uh, Twins definitely not making the playoffs. They have been kind of struggling all year long. Buxton might get traded actually, who has only played 27 games, but I think he put up like three war in the 27 games in in classic Byron Buxton fashion. Um, And the Red Sox, you you nailed them on the surprise team there. So uh, props to you. I did not have that. I was I, the A's are looking decent in the, in the AL West as far as that goes. And the Yankees not looking too good. I was listening back to our episode back then, and I was kind of bashing the Yankees. So I don't know why I chose them to win the division. I guess just they're the Yankees and they're on paper, they're pretty good. But, um, but it looks like Red Sox, Rays, maybe Blue Jays, but probably one of those first two will win that AL East. Yeah, competitive division for sure. Yeah, it is surprising that we both had the Yankees on that. I am. Um, I was still holding out hope on the Angels to, to take out the, uh, the Astros and the A's over in the West and still sitting around 500. We were discussing this quickly before the podcast and still needing that additional pitching. Mike Trout, of course, has been out for a um, pretty uh, sizable amount of the year as well. So he'll be coming back soon. So we'll, it's not necessarily out of the picture um, for the Angels to be in the playoffs. I will say it's highly, highly unlikely that they walk out with the AL West, but always a chance that they could pull off a wild card berth, which as we all know, would be a blast to see Otani trout in the playoffs and who knows even an Otani start in a wild card game. Um, That really would be, would be a treat. So I think baseball fans will be rooting for the angels to, to pick up one of those wild card spots and we'll see if that happens. So moving over to the national league um, my predictions at the start of the year, Mets, Brewers, Dodgers as the divisional winners, with the Padres and Braves as wild card. David, with Braves, Brewers, and Dodgers winning the divisions, and the Padres and Mets in the wild card slot. So, David, your thoughts on this? Uh, Braves don't look like they're going to make the playoffs. They are only, I think, four or five games out. Um, but they lost Acuna for the year. Ozuna, I don't think he'll be coming back uh, at this point. Pitching Siroka has been has been and will be out for the whole year, also. So they've really had a tough, uh, tough draw in that in that case, and the Mets haven't really run away with the division, which I thought they would, but they are still sitting in first place. So uh, you might have gotten the the Mets. Uh, we'll see. They're only two games ahead of the Phillies right now. Kind of a mess there in that NL East division. A bunch of mediocre teams. Actually, when I was listening to our, our conversation in March, I was talking about how good the NL East is and how there'll probably be four really good teams coming out of that division. Now it's look like looking like there's. Really zero very good teams coming out of that division. Brewers, uh, looks like both of us have, are kind of going to nail that. Of course, we got the bias, but they're backing it up. They're up seven games right now. Dodgers fighting for uh, the division right now in the NL West. Uh, I think that, yeah, the Giants right now are in the lead, up one game on the Dodgers. And then the, the Padres sitting five games back. Um, so certainly possible, the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are probably pretty likely that they'll win the division. Uh, still, and Padres probably getting a wild card, but maybe the Giants getting the other wild card. Uh, Giants, even if they go 500 the rest of the way, they still win 93 games. Um, so uh, it's, they put themselves in a, a very good spot uh, where I think they probably will make the playoffs. It would be interesting to see Kevin Gosman 173 ERA this year. I think that's second in the NL, um, maybe third. So in a potential wild card game against San Diego. San Diego might have it a little tough after spending so much money um, in the off season. Uh, and I looked at some of our uh, awards that we had also uh, for Peter with his MVP picks of Acuna and Trout looking like the injuries will prevent that from happening. Trout was excellent to start the year and has been hurt since early May putting him outside of uh, MVP contention and Acuna probably was going to be a finalist for MVP or at least looking like he was on that track before he uh, tore his ACL, unfortunately, over the last couple of weeks. Um, I have Soto for NL MVP. Uh, he's having a, a pretty good year. Uh, I don't know if he'll be NL MVP necessarily, but I don't know if I'd say we necessarily have a runaway NL MVP. Tatis probably the closest to that. But DeGrom, if DeGrom is able to come back uh, from another uh, IL stint, uh, could challenge Tatis maybe for MVP. And I did pick Shohei Otani in the AL, so that one's looking really good. Uh, That was a a very risky one. I was not feeling very confident about that one at the time, but now I am uh, kind of battling there with Vlad Jr., who has an OPS right up around 1,100 with about 35 home runs. Otani also has about 35 home runs, though, and he pitches too. Uh, It is a pretty good one, so uh, interesting there. And then the Cy Youngs, Peter has Scherzer and Cole, who uh, both of them very good seasons. I don't think Scherzer is likely to win the Cy Young, but definitely top five, top seven. And Cole actually leads the AL in F war right now. So you're looking pretty good on that one, Peter. I have DeGrom in the NL, um, which is, of course, right now the favorite. Um, And then Hyunjin Ryu, he has like a 3-5 ERA right now. Definitely not going to win the Cy Young. Um, and, and that one, not a very good pick. Yeah, I think we we should have assigned some sort of point system for this because uh, I, I think our predictions overall, pretty competitive. I know I've got, uh, I may have just only missed one with the Giants in the National League. Um, and you had the Otani pick, which was, like you said, a, a pretty gutsy pick um, that you were able to nab. Um, so kind of interesting that some of the guys that uh, we've been able to Predict beyond just the uh, Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, which are relatively easy, safe picks uh, if you look over the last couple of years. So as we wrap here, up here, looking at our Brewers Awards, we had our Brewers MVP, Brewers Cy Young, and Brewers Rookie of the Year, both of us with Christian Yelich as the Brewers MVP, um, which with the injury, probably not the case at this point. Um, you could make the argument even for Willie Adames, who's you know only been here um, for part of the season. Um, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff are two picks for Cy Young and then rookie of the year, Drew Rasmussen and, uh, Ashby, uh, Ashby pick, David, not looking great for you so far. <laughs> I can't say, <laughs> the, you can't say the Rasmussen is really either for you. I don't even know like what, what rookies have the Brewers even had this year? Um, I, I don't know who qualifies as, as rookie eligible oh, cousins, I guess, or Sanchez, I guess it'd be cousins. Right. Like, uh, or Tyrone Taylor, he might still be a rookie. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not really sure why you didn't get cousins on on Brewers rookie of the year here at the start of the year. I know, um, but yeah, you were saying if, if I were to choose a first half MVP in Cy Young for the Brewers, I'd have to go with Domus for the MVP. I think I'd go Woodruff for the Cy Young, um, but I, I do think I'd have to go with for first half MVP for the Brewers. No, I think I. I, I think 100. No, no question about it. Uh, what he brought has brought to the team both on the field, but I think intangibly as well, has been very evident. And like you said, I think he's the clear pick for the Brewers' first half MVP, and then Woodruff, uh, been the Brewers' best pitcher as well. So, um, as we wrap up, finally, um, Brewers' win projections both of us were, were pretty excited to go into the year. You had 86 wins for the Brewers projected, I had 84. Um, of course, Brewers on track, um, to to surpassed both of those projections um, along with the NL Central title. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, any final thoughts here, David, before we wrap up? Yeah, I, they actually are on pace for 95 wins right now. So hopefully they're able to eclipse us by a pretty wide margin. I also do remember making three bold predictions before opening opening day. First one, Freddie Peralta makes the all-star game as a starting pitcher, which uh, that was a pretty bold one at the time. And I've always loved Freddie Peralta. I've always believed in him. I feel like more than most Brewer fans, even uh, during those uh, 50 pitch first innings he'd have back in 2018. Um, I, I thought that he would eventually come through, and it looks like he has. So I was really happy about that one. I said Woodruff Cy Young finalist. If the season ended today, I'm pretty confident he would be in that top three. Uh, for the Cy Young. And I had the Brewers leading the league in in strikeouts per nine. They are second in the league. Uh, The White Sox having a a better mark by 0.13, which is is unfortunate. Um, But looking ahead, two at home against the Royals this week. Uh, The Royals have lost 17 of their last 21 games, not looking good there. Um, and the start time on Tuesday did get moved up from a 7 o'clock game to a 3 o'clock game uh, so that Brewer fans can watch the Bucks. So kind of nice that they were able to do that. Uh, I am glad that they are um, because I wouldn't have otherwise watched the Brewers, um, to be honest. And then they are at home against the White Sox. We mentioned that earlier. Uh, first place White Sox and eight games up in their division. So it should be a pretty good series. I'm excited for that one. Don't play the White Sox very often. And I know you mentioned Sunday Night Baseball coming up on Sunday. Lorenzo Kane Bobblehead night also. Uh, so it should be a good game against the White Sox. Yeah, Brewers-White Sox matchup we don't often see. And like we, like we said, two uh, teams atop the uh, respective central divisions so we'll see how that plays out hopefully Brewers uh, can put up a good series on that Uh, so before we we uh, head out here and answer our trivia question I know David you wanted to check in on a few old friends around the league yeah um, there have been two pitchers especially that have really impressed this year and um, if I was going to have a draft on who would be the most likely? You know how like graduations they'll say or like the senior class for high school or college most likely to succeed? Uh, I would say these are probably the two of the very last that I would put on that list. Uh, you know, you expect, you know, like Grindall Mike Mousakis, uh, former Brewers like that. No, Phil Bickford and Willie Peralta. Um, maybe the two best former Brewer seasons right now. Bickford, since he was waived by the Brewers back in May, 205 ERA and 22 innings for the Dodgers. He's had a few saves. Um, They've trusted him with save opportunities. He's really done it all, 29 strikeouts in the 22 innings. I mean, good for him. Uh, He had a a kind of a long journey to the big leagues. I'm glad that he was able to kind of finally put things together. And then Willie Peralta, who has uh, emerged out of nowhere from uh, not playing at all last year. Uh, He was a bad reliever for the Royals, basically, for a couple of years. Tigers signed him to a minor league deal in, in late February this year. And now 26 innings as a starter, 208 ERA. Um, he's allowed just one earned run in his last five starts, uh, one earned run total, that is, over his last five starts. Just the third Tiger starter to do that since World War II. Uh, so some pretty good, uh, pretty good numbers there for Willie Peralta in Detroit. Maybe a Brewers trade candidate, kind of hope not, uh, but it would be kind of funny if Stearns did target Willie Peralta. Um, Willie Peralta actually was signed by the Brewers back in 2005, um, so hard to believe he's 32 years old. He was signed back when he was 16, um, but kind of happy for him to see him succeed in Detroit. Uh, very much a kind of a, a rebirth of a career. Um, it, his 17 win season came back seven or eight years ago already. Uh, so he he was able to kind of get back on track now with Detroit and hopefully he's able to continue the success along with Bigford. Yeah, it's been a while since we saw Big Willie, but uh, was a staple around here and Personally, I enjoyed watching him. I was a big fan of his as he came up uh, with the Brewers, was hoping for a little bit uh, bigger, brighter things with Milwaukee. But like you said, good to see him succeeding in Detroit. Uh, We'll see what he's able to do as he tries to rebirth his career. So for those of you that remember, way back at the beginning of the episode, our trivia question for the day, who is the Brewers' leader in weighted runs, created plus? David, who is your selection? Yeah, I was thinking about this, and the big thing is who qualifies because um, I don't think Wong qualifies. I don't think Adamis qualifies, and I don't think Narvaez qualifies. Um, So that takes out the top three candidates that I'd have for it, even Yelich. I don't think Yelich qualifies. Um, Now I could be wrong on that one, but I don't think he does. So I'm actually going to go with Avisael Garcia. You got it. Yep, Garcia above there a lot of guys that did, that did not qualify for it so kind of a uh, kind of a bizarre stat but garcia's had a pretty good year um, hitting 257 which is also leading the brewers in batting average 317 on base 466 slugging um, also leading the brewers with 17 home runs as well luis urias right behind uh, garcia of course urias has been an, a very nice surprise a 246 average 336 on base and 435 slugging along with 13 home runs from uh, you know An infielder who I don't think the Brewers were expecting, you know, a 20 home run season. Uh, So a nice surprise from both of those players, and likely we're going to see, for sure. I think we're going to see Garcia back next year, Urias as well, and perhaps Urias we could see as a staple in the Brewers infield over the next handful of years, and maybe the uh, the Padres trade doesn't look so bad after a while. Yeah, I would be very excited if we did see Urias in a Brewer's uniform for a while. I would like to note, if you lower that threshold to like 140 plate appearances, Garcia is actually sixth among the Brewers. So um, kind of a big thing being the playing time there, because Adamas is first, if you lower it, uh, the, the threshold a little bit, followed by Narvaez, Peterson, Wong, and Yelich, all of whom have either been, uh, Adamas was with the Rays, um, Peterson in, in AAA for a little bit, and then the others with injuries. Um, but Garcia has been a pretty consistent producer all year long. So it uh, does speak to his production. And he kind of held the Brewers offense together really in April and May uh, when they were struggling really badly. Uh, so it has been nice to see Garcia turn it around this year of a bounce back season with the bat on pace for almost 30 home runs. Yeah, he has been a nice staple, um, driving a lot of runs as well. So he's just been a, a good hitter. Um, I am glad if, if we didn't expect JBJ to have the year he's had this year either. So he's the value that Garcia has provided has been more than we had expected. Uh, Next week we should have, I I should have just uh, instead of, you know, weighted runs created plus should have gone with a much more valuable stat. Like who's the Brewers leader in triples uh, or something like that. Jackie Bradley, Jr. uh, None other three triples on the year. I'm not exactly sure how, but uh, I guess he's fast. So he can hit a ground ball down the line or something, but uh, nonetheless, David final thoughts today. I know we covered a lot. Uh, We covered Brewers transactions, Um, Brewers series against the Mets way back when the last seven games against the Reds um, all-star game Brewers trade our midseason update on our predictions. So a lot that we covered today. And I, like you said, you are going to also have a bonus episode on the, on the Brewers draft results. So with all that being said, David, your final thoughts tonight. The Brewers are on pace for 95 wins, which I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier in the episode. 95 wins would tie them actually for the second best mark in franchise history. And I don't know if they'll for sure keep that up, but um, I think a big, a, big, uh, a big factor in whether or not they're able to keep that up is if they do go out there and make a trade deadline acquisition, trade deadline coming up July 30th this year. Uh, so just 12 days, 11 days from today um, coming up very soon. Uh, in the next week and a half or so. Um, I'm not sure if Stearns will uh, pull the plug on any more moves. They did already trade for Adamas. They traded for Teles, um, And we'll look into that a little bit more next week. Uh, but that 95 win mark um, would put them, yeah, like I said, uh, right up there. 82 team won 195 games. That 2018 team won 96 games along with the, uh, the 2011 team. So Brewers positioning themselves as uh, – potentially one of the best seasons in franchise history. Definitely don't think that was expected. If you took a look at at midseason and saw the Brewers playing this well, I would have been very pleasantly surprised. And um, looks like the Brewers might be uh, the team that runs away with the NL Central. Yeah, absolutely looking that way. And, and certainly hoping that the Brewers are able to stay healthy, uh, continuing to see the, the at-bats um, coming from Adames, Urias, Garcia, Narvaez. Um, And, of course, Brewers starting pitching, just being able to continue what they're doing and be able to plug and play with that bullpen. um, Brewers really looking good. So, as always, we will have you covered here for the rest of the year. And, as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.